At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This winter, we're taking a fresh look at a familiar story through our series, Jonah, At Odds with God. Tune in now as we face the same choice Jonah did, to receive God's mission or to resent it. Well, my wife got some flowers and she whispered more than I've got in a while. So um, <laughs> let me just go ahead and say that real quick, that um, I got a good wife, but she throws a little shade here and there. Love you, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. I've, I've felt so blessed, so welcomed. Man, you guys are amazing. Wow. Uh, yeah, we've been talking, and um, my wife, she, she keeps telling me, and, and she's going to get on me a little for this, but she went and bought me new clothes even. She said, you know, it's time you look good, all right? So I got a new shirt on, new church, love you guys, thank you. Again, Vince and Steve and the leadership here, uh, I believe with everything in my heart that God has something amazing for this community, amazing, and, and I know that not because of just some tingling in my heart, but because the food pantry, I, I watched uh, feed hungry people in this community Saturday morning. And, and the two life groups I was able to attend, yes, um, with Courtney and, uh, and also with Andy. And, and so I see that, and, and that is what it's about, making an impact and, and being in this community, being here, but not just being in these walls, taking Christ to wherever we are. So again, I'm excited. Uh, also, I was joking because I'm like, okay, first message, and this is a heavy message. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's not too many butterflies and rainbows in this message, but it's interesting because uh, you've been talking about Jonah for the last couple weeks. Well, today, we're actually not talking much about Jonah. We're talking about the Ninevites. We're going to focus on them and this community. And with Jonah, he's been going through this journey and he's been struggling. And of course, he was vomited out of a, a giant fish or whale. And, uh, and now he's on this mission. But before I go any further into that, I want to share a story. Uh, so recently, I was able to go to San Francisco. My sister lives in San Francisco, my, my sister-in-law, brother-in-law, and I was able to go there, and one thing I really wanted was to go to Chinatown or Japantown. Okay, I wanted to go to both of those. I fell in love with, with Japanese and Chinese culture. My friend, he's like, hey man, you need to listen to this documentary called The Age of the Samurai. You gotta watch it, you gotta listen to it. it it's gonna captivate you. I love history, I listened to it, and I just fell in love with the culture. And so when I went there, I went to Chinatown, I went to Japantown, I took my daughter, uh, my sister and I went as well, and we just walked through the village, and, and my sister, she's been to China, she's been to Japan, and she's like, yep, this is exactly like the areas I was at in China and Japan. And so it's interesting because uh, in 1907, there was a revival, there was this movement in Japan and in, in Korea. And one thing that intrigued me uh, in this documentary was learning the tensions between Japan and neighboring countries. One of the, one of the, the thorns in their flesh was uh, North Korea, South Korea, and, and same likewise, North Korea and South Korea, they would say the same about Japan. There was a tension, there was a hatred, there was a rivalry, and, and so there was this movement that happened in the early 1900s, and it happened in Korea. 
And so the story goes like this, that they were, they were taught this message, you know, to eliminate sin in their life, to repent, to go back to the word. And these Korean Christians, they were being moved by this. They were really being moved by the Holy Spirit and they started to accept the truths of the gospel of grace. But then the speaker started to press in even harder. He said, okay, I see this movement. Now I want you to forgive the Japanese. I want you to forgive the people that have oppressed you, that have hurt you, that have robbed you, that have went to war with you. I even want you to repent of your hatred towards them. And that was a hard pill for them to swallow because man, you can, we can forgive certain things in our life. We can go to God for certain areas, but not that because of what they have done to us. I mean, this is the man sacred cow of, hey, you can go anywhere in my life, God, but not this, but that preacher challenged them, repent of this. Otherwise, you're no better than the people you hate because you're holding and, and harnessing that. Even though you feel like you're morally superior to that nation, it doesn't matter. You're holding something in your life that God is calling you to repent of. And so people started to slowly let that hatred fall away. It drained from them their pride, their bitterness, and, and they returned home with a new willingness to forgive. People went home and they started repairing relationships. They started returning things they had stolen. And because of that movement, there was, there was just an explosion of the gospel in that region. The result was a movement because they had fully surrendered themselves to the power of God, to the word of God, and been obedient to that. And I think about movements like that. And maybe some of us, we've been blessed enough to see a movement. Maybe you've been seen a movement here in the past or another church you were a part of or in your family you know, even in our American history, the Great Awakening, right? There's these great, powerful movements. But I don't think any of those movements are as massive as the thing we're going to talk about today. The movement that happens in Jonah chapter 3. Some would argue this was the greatest movement in the history of mankind. Some would argue that, that what happens here, we've never seen it before. And, and we get a front row today, this morning, of this movement of God through this prophet Jonah. And so I'm excited about that because with this, there's this turning, this movement, this repentance, but a lot of us, what does that even mean? You know, when I think about repentance, you know, that's a strong word, right? Sin, repentance, obedience. But a lot of us, we, we forget what this means. If I, if I ask everyone in this room the definition of repentance, we probably would have in some variation 90% um, of us with a different form of what it means. And so first, before we go any further, I want to talk about what is repentance, because repentance is what is the theme of this entire uh, chapter. 
And so the definition of repentance is this, first comes back to this Hebrew word shub. I thought that was interesting, the Hebrew word shub, and it means to turn. So repentance, biblically, it just means to turn. It's not just confessing one's sin or to simply ask for forgiveness for one's sin. No, it's more than that. Repentance is an act of turning from one sin and turning to God. So turning from something in our life that's not honoring to him and and turning to him. And in this chapter, in chapter 3, we actually see verses 8 and 10, and we'll be talking about those a little later, that they use this word repent uh, four times, which again reveals that central purpose of this theme. So again, we're going to walk through this. We're going to dig into it, what it looks like for us, what it means to have true repentance. And so we're going to talk first what it means. And repentance begins, this is where it begins, with hearing the word. That's where it begins, hearing the word. Let's jump into Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse 1 right here. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So here we go. We got Jonah. He's going into this great city. Some historians say that the city of Nineveh was anywhere to about 100,000, give or take. It's a massive city in ancient Israel area or Middle East, I mean, Mesopotamia. So this is a massive, massive city. And so here goes our guy Jonah again. And and it's interesting because in this section, it says the word of the Lord came to him a second time. So I love this because as I continue to study, it showed us and it reminded me that our God is a God of second chances. That Jonah, he had that opportunity and then he was ate up by a whale, right? And then spit up. But here is a second chance with this prophet of God. And it's interesting, the first two verses of chapter three, they're almost exactly the same as the first two verses of chapter one. One of the small changes is that after telling Jonah to go to Nineveh a second time, he tells him to share the message that I'll tell you. So the Hebrew here is kind of wordy. If you dig into it, it says, proclaim the proclamation that I proclaim to you. So here, He is showing, man, I I want you to go and you're going to be sharing this message that I am going to tell you. You're not just going to make it up. I'm going to tell you exactly what I want you to share. I love this quote by Tim Keller in his book, Prodigal Prophet. He says, Jonah did not become free to select for himself that he would say to men what he would say to men. He did not go to them and tell them about his experience. He did not decide the content of his preaching. Thus, our witness is bound to the word of God. The greatest saint can say nothing of value unless it is based solely 
on the word of God. So here, repentance for the people of Nineveh, it wasn't going to come from the words of Jonah. It was only going to come from the life-changing word of God. So what did Jonah do this time around? What was different? Well, he arose. Here, the difference is, is that he arose and, and he went. You know, before he ran, he tried to go to Tarshish. He tried to go to one of the furthest regions of the known world. And now this time around, he arose and he went to the city. What's intriguing, though, is, is there's nothing in the text that, that indicates that his attitude has changed. Like what we see is he arose and he went, but it doesn't mean he wanted to per se. You know, and so I was laughing about that because when I was thinking about someone who does something, even though they don't necessarily want to, uh, the first thing that came to mind was my children, <laughs> okay? So I was thinking recently, my friend, he gave us an Xbox One. So he's like, hey, I got an extra Xbox. And so I started, you know, I was off a couple months. I'm like, man, I haven't played video games for a while. Maybe I'll see what this is like. So I got this game called Minecraft. I don't know if anyone has heard of the game Minecraft. So here I am, I'm playing Minecraft. And essentially you, you create homes and towns and it, it's very intriguing because I don't really know the point of the game. So I, so I was playing this game and then my kids started playing this game. And, and I kid you not, they turned into little spawns very quickly when this game occurred because they just, they, they just became like addicted completely to the game. They were consumed, their attitude changed, so it's like, five minutes is up, no, let me finish building my home, you know? And so they're fighting and, and eventually got to a point when, when I would say, hey, get off the game, it's your brother's turn, they would, my daughter, she would look at me and then she would pinch her brother, okay? And so he'd be like, ah, but she would do it while looking at me and smiling. <laughs> so I was like, what in the world is going on? So then I would sit her down, I'd say, hey, did you pinch your brother? You know that's not acceptable. You know that's not right. And so I said, you will say sorry and you will listen to me. And so what would you think would happen at this point? She would say sorry, but it would be like, sorry, you know? Or she'd be like, she would always do this thing where she wouldn't sound out the whole word. She goes, sorry, you know? Go hug your brother. And then it'd be like this like limp fish. She would like lean on him. <laughs> and so in those moments, she wasn't repentant or she didn't agree. She just knew she was going to get a butt spank if she didn't do it or she'd have to go to her room or she'd lose her poppets or she'd lose her LOLs. She, she knew there was going to be consequence. But, but I knew in my heart, my wife knew in her heart that she didn't mean it. And so when I think of that, I think of Jonah. He got to the point that he's like, man, I was thrown out of a boat. I was swallowed by a fish. I was vomiting on land. No matter what, even if I don't want to, I'm still going to do it because I don't want to be swallowed by a fish again. You know what I mean? Like maybe a giant pterodactyl is going to come and pick him up next time he tries to run. He knew that in this situation, there was no way he could run from the will of God. And so he arose and he went. He got up and he went to the people 
of Nineveh. And, and I think about that. In, in this situation, the reason for his obedience, you know, God hadn't changed. Nineveh hadn't changed. God's commission hadn't changed. So what changed? I, I don't think much changed in his heart other than he just knew God was God. And so he went and he did what he was called to do. And he went out to the people of Nineveh, again, this exceedingly great city. And he went and it was massive, three days journey to go through the city. And he kept preaching and preaching this seven word message. And I was interested because I hadn't seen this before as I was, I was, I was studying this. A lot of historians, a lot of biblical theologians, they didn't believe that it was just seven words. They believed that there was more to the message, but this was the gist of it. They believe he actually talked through some specific things that they were doing that they needed to rep repent from. And there's some clues actually in this chapter that reveal that that could be a real possibility. But the point of the text and I think about this with, with Jonah, he didn't go to this city because it was great. He went to the city because God loved the city. Because God loved the people in the city. God loved this Gentile people, which was more rare in the Old Testament. You look in the Old Testament, there's not these great prophets that are going to Gentiles. They're not going outside of their region. They're not going outside the 12 tribes. And so in this situation, it's very unique that a prophet is going to a far nation, to the people of Nineveh. And it's because God loved the people. He loved them. They were significant to him. And so he shares this message. And he says, hey, repent, 40 days. Nineveh's gonna get overthrown. And you see the king, he started to have movement in his heart. I, I think about this. I think uh, movements in the Bible, right? And, and it just caught me when, when reading this. Acts chapter 2. Does anyone know what happened in Acts chapter 2? Anyone know? Pentecost. Right? You have this guy by the name of Peter, and he preaches this message. And people are thinking, man, that dude's drunk. And people are sharing, and they're sharing in their, in their own language, and Peter is sharing before this nation, before these people, and how many came to believe in God that day? 3,000. There was this great movement that was happening. And they said, what do we got to do? What is it? Okay, we believe. We believe what you're saying. What is it that we got to do? And they said, repent and be baptized. And they acted upon that. And so I hear this message on, on Jonah and speaking to the Ninevites. You know, what was happening prior to repentance? It was them hearing. In order for there to be repentance, we got to hear the word of God. Would the people ever have been cut to the heart if there wasn't a man by the name of Peter standing up and sharing? Would the Ninevites have heard if God hadn't sent Jonah? This section of the story, it shows us what we see all throughout Scripture. Repentance begins with hearing the Word of God. Because the Word of God is power, right? It's living. It, it's active. It's, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts into the joints and the marrow. 
And we read even in 2 Timothy 3.16, right? All scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be competent, uh, equipped in every good work. But there needs to be a sharing part. <laughs> there needs to be someone who speaks the word of God. And so, okay, we, we hear that, and now I want to make it a little more practical to us. The real question is, are you hearing from the word of God? Are we as a church, right, hearing from the word of God? What place does the word of God have in your daily life, in your family, in, in, in your marriage, if you've had a season where you're running a Tarshish, some of us, we might be in a fish right now and we need to be vomited out and we need to rise and we need to go. But I want to encourage you that we serve a God of second chances. We serve a God, he didn't leave Jonah in the fish. He didn't leave him to drown in the ocean. He didn't say, oh, you don't understand the opportunity you have. There are hundreds and thousands of people who would love to be my prophet. That person would love to be my prophet. No, he used Jonah and he gave him a second chance. And so while this process, and I, and I think through this, while it begins with hearing, it continues through believing. So anyone could hear, right? Anyone could hear and listen, it's when it turns into belief. Okay, I hear you, and now I, I believe you. Jonah 5, 3, 5 through 6 says this, And the people of Nineveh, they believed God. They called for a fast, and, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. So they, they didn't just hear it. <laughs> they believed it. They didn't just say, okay, you're that crazy guy on the corner. They actually heard it from the greatest to the least. Every single person. And, and I think about that king, he even humbled himself to the place of a commoner. Even he put himself on the level of the people of Nineveh so he could show humility to God. I, that word believed, it's a present tense active verb. And we see that actually in Genesis chapter uh, 15. And it's revealing that there's this continual action of belief. And, and with Abraham, he believed and it said it was credited or reckoned him as righteousness. That God looked at him, he saw him, he said, oh man, that guy believes. He, like he really believes me. And it was credited to him as, as righteousness. And so with these, these people of Nineveh, they believed. The same, the same word as we see with Abraham. They had a deep-seated belief. And they believed that the wrath was coming. When Jonah said, hey, you're going to get leveled, you're going to get destroyed. 
they said, we're going to get destroyed. <laughs> they didn't just say, oh, it's, it's going to be years away. It's like if God came down and he said, hey, stop speeding. You're going to get in an accident. No, no. Michigan drivers are crazy, FYI. I've been gone for 14 years or 16 years. I'm getting to that age now. Dates don't make sense. And I was down in the South, right? A little more in the South Louisville. I came back up and I'm on my way to my second Bible study, right? Or life group. And I'm driving. Someone's waving their hand. I'm like, what did I do? You know? You know, and so I'm getting honked at people. It's like, it's like a race course, you know, like it's crazy. And so I, I think about that and, and I, I think about with Jonah and I think about where he was and he genuinely had a belief that God was going to do this. And the people in return had that belief as well. And so the Ninevites, they turned, they turned. So you think about a city, and, and historians, they say that this city actually had a lot of turmoil up to that point. I was reading that it said, at this junction, when, when Jonah came to Assyria, right, when he came to Nineveh, at this point, they've already experienced famines. They've already experienced some war. There was plagues. They're very superstitious people. They thought these were omens for something more severe to come. And so in this situation, when Jonah came there, it's like this was preparing the way for him to share this message. Because things weren't hunky-dory. Things weren't smooth. Things were really difficult. And so they're like, okay, this kind of makes sense because this has happened and that's happened and that has happened. Sound kind of familiar at times? <laughs> you know, it's almost like an omen for what could be down the line. And we hear a lot more of that chatter right now in our culture, in our world. You know, omens with the, the nation and Ukraine and, and, and political battles. People are saying, oh, you know, you have people building bunkers and, and people buying land in the middle of nowhere because they think it's omens for what is going to happen, which is either destruction or Jesus returning. And these Ninevites, they were feeling some of this stress. They were feeling this pain. And it's ironic because pain usually is one of the only things that can get our attention. Can I get an amen? amen? Guys, I don't know about you, but when things are good, I tend to wander, okay? You're going to realize this very quickly. I'm a wanderer. I'm a talker. Um, and, and, I, and I think about that. When things are good, we tend to wander or, or walk away from, from God, just for some reason. That's just how we're wired. We should walk more to him because of the blessing, but we tend to walk away or get complacent. It's usually in those rock bottom hurting moments of depression, of sickness, of divorce, of financial strain. Those are usually the moments we say, oh man, maybe I should talk to God. <laughs> Maybe I should go to church. Maybe I should get reconnected with my life group. Maybe I should surrender my life to Jesus. And it tends to be those moments that God gives us an aha feeling or experience. And that's what it felt like to the Ninevites. 
You know, when we respond to the gospel and accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, when we, re- when we repent, we got to leave that stuff behind. It's not just hearing, it's believing, and there's got to be a change. There's got to be an action. Following Jesus will cost you something. If it has not cost you anything to follow Jesus, I'm not sure if you're following Jesus. You know, my old professor used to say, if everyone likes you, you're doing something wrong. And so I think the same with us. If we're going to follow Christ, if we're going to repent and turn from something in our life that's not honoring him, it will cost us something. And these Ninevites, they, they humbled themselves from the greatest to the least. They repented, and it says that God saw that. He saw it. But repentance, and I just want to make this clear, Repentance is a lifetime work of God through the word. I just want to say that before I forget about it. Because it's not a one-time repentance. There is a continual time or times where there's something that we're like, man, I need to to get this out of my life. It's a continual journey. And and I've noticed this. I don't know about you. Uh, Maybe you're more holy than I am. But the older I get, the more God reveals things in my life that I didn't know existed. I'm like, oh, I really struggle with pride in this area. Wow, like, like I need to be better in, in this part of my life. And as time goes on, he starts to reveal some things to me. In his, in his goodness, he reveals those things to me because he loves and he wants those things to be out. And so if part of repentance is changing our belief, and changing some of these things, you know, if we believe one thing, now we got to believe in God, and we're confronted with those things. What are we currently believing that needs to be changed? What is it in our life today that we're just like, man, I believe this, I think it's okay, but in our heart, we know, deep down, we know that God wants something different for us. What is it? What is it that's in opposition to the gospel? What is it that the enemy tends to have a foothold in our life? What is it? Think about that this morning. Because remember, God is a God of second chances. He's always willing and ready to satisfy us more than a thing in our life that we think actually satisfies us. Because the more we rely on that, the more we realize it's not going to fill us up. And so if you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, again, God's word for you today is just like the Ninevites. A call to repentance, a call to forgiveness, a belief in God, what Christ did on that cross. And you have that opportunity this morning. You have that opportunity here. So again, you have hearing, Then you have belief, but what's next? It's this, repentance involves or requires responding to the word. So not just hearing, not just believing, but actually responding again through action. Let me read uh, verses six through 10. This is what it says. The word reached the king of Nineveh. 
And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He issued a proclamation, and he published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented. He relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. You know, I think about this, and this is where I think so many, and, and I'm, I'm just as victim to this, so hear me out. We get lost here. A lot of us, we would admit that, hey, we're willing to repent, ask forgiveness. We, we believe, but we tend to get lost after that second point where it turns into action, where it turns into a, into a response. One of my favorite quotes is, is this one. The greatest single cause of atheism in our world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And so people, they, they repent, they, they believe, but then it doesn't equal an action. And I would argue that that's not true repentance. True repentance is all three. It is hearing, believing, and then responding to the word. It's all three of those. That's the sign of true repentance. If we just miss out on one of those, then it's not true repentance it's, we're feeling remorseful, or we're sad we let someone down. It's more earthly instead of heavenly. It's more, or it's more horizontal than vertical conviction. And so in this, we see that it turns into action. What's the action? Fasting, sackcloth and ashes, the whole nation humbling themselves. It turned into them saying, hey, whoa, we need to do something. We need to change something. And so in this case, this edict even goes out. The king even announced it to the entire kingdom. He said, hey, this is what we're going to do by the decree of the king and the nobles. Neither man nor beast, everyone, no one is allowed to drink or eat anything. They turned it into action. And it made it into real repentance. You know, I've heard it said before that you don't believe what you say, but you believe what you do. You know, we can say we love God. We could say we love our spouse. We could say all this, but it's got to turn into action. Talk is cheap, right? <laughs> Talk is cheap. So here it is. What is it you need to turn from. What is it? 
think deep. Really reflect what is it right now that you need to turn from. You know, I, I can think in my life, different moments and, and seasons where God he said, man, you gotta, you gotta turn from this. And some of those were, hey, I'm gonna do this, and I didn't look back, but if I'm real, there were most of them that it took some work, right? It took a change, whether it's how I think or action. It's a humbling process because you need your community, you, you need your church, you need your pastor, you need your leaders, your elders, deacons, you need it all, you need that. And so what is it today that you need to turn from? Because I want you to remember, God is a God of second chances. God responds to repentance. He sees it. He sees that belief. He sees that willingness. What actions do you need to take to make sure as you continue to turn that you can stay in the will of God, that you can stay on this journey to true repentance. You know, we're going to go into a time of communion, and I think it's, it's perfect, perfect timing. Uh, communion is, is so important here. If you've received Christ, you know why we do this. If, if you've not, I want to say this real quick, that you have an invitation this morning. You have an opportunity this morning. I said this probably 15 minutes ago in the sermon. I want to say it again, that you have an opportunity this morning to receive Christ, to experience real repentance. Christ died on a cross, and he died on that cross to pay for your sin. And so when we come here, we, we do this once a month, and we do this to remember and there's a couple places in, in the Word of God where it talks about communion. One of my favorites is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it talks about what this means. And so I want to walk us through that as we take communion together. Because in 1 Corinthians 11, it talks first about the bread. And we have this delicious cracker. It says, For I received from the Lord what I had also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he had broke it and said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Also said in the next verse about the blood to remember the blood that was shed for Christ. And he said in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Guys, as we exit and we and in worship, I just want you to remember what Christ did for you, the invitation you have this morning. So let me close in prayer and we'll worship together. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we can take communion together as a church. But if there are those who don't know you, Father, I pray that they don't wait another minute. They don't wait another second. 
that today is the day they start their journey with you, that they repent and they believe and that word becomes action. Again, thank you for this morning. Thank you uh, for allowing us to be a, a, a church, a church in a world where we're, we're not being persecuted for being here. We're here in freedom and, and love and song and, and children. And thank you again for this morning. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.